the free for all roundtable round two on round two Lawyer, professor, activist Pamela Palmiter is here. Tim Hudak is the former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. News Talk 1010's Adjua Nsia Yabois is here as well. And I'm just bringing up my menu so we're all on the same page. Um, I actually would like to start with this Brad Bradford issue. And maybe, Pamela, um, you can approach this from a legal perspective. But uh, he used video of women complaining about safety on the TT. He argues, hey, I'm a guy who's running for mayor and I'm going to make this a priority. So it's a very real time involvement with somebody who's in political leadership. And let's not forget, he's already a city councillor. And also he argues that TikTok is specifically designed so that people can use the video that you put out there. So do you think that these women have, you know, in, in any respect had, uh, you know, been violated to a degree in terms of the right and control of what they put out there? Yeah, I mean, it was clearly an improper use of someone else's copyrighted material. So even though you can share parts of YouTube videos or Instagram reels or TikTok posts, uh, you don't have the copyright. Uh, it's expected that people will share clips or, you know, do responses. But when you use it for commercial purposes or political purposes or something other than what it's meant for on that platform, then he should have known better. I mean, his team should have known better. I would have asked a lawyer, for example. And, and it really doesn't look good to have this male politician using the voices of Indigenous women and then superimposing his political uh, title over top of it. Uh, Tim Hudak, it could be argued, as Brad did, that, you know, this is a, a very um, modern way of interacting with a politician. You complain about something, the politician reacts right away. Uh, yeah, but I think that's the wrong argument to have. Like any time that you're talking process, John, you're not talking motive, you're losing, right? The, the interview that you did with him should have all been about cleaning up the subway, making it safe, making sure proper services uh, are available and get back to the motive. So when you're explaining, you're on your back foot. Look, I thought it was an effective video. I, I give it a, a B plus uh, off the top. Should have you asked permission? Sure, because you actually get them as allies. But I don't think that was a major oversight here. His level of energy and such is a bit of a mismatch for the video. That's why he doesn't get an A. But I really wish you would have said, you know what? Yeah, I should have reached out to him. But I'm mad about the subway. I'm going to fix that up. I'm the guy to actually get it cleaned up so you feel safe. That should be in the interview, not explaining process. Okay. Is this an old-fashioned approach to a new and modern medium, or do you agree, Adwa? Uh, he should have asked permission. It would have taken two seconds to do it, and you can share videos, but he went the next level. He didn't even tag them in the post to say that this was their video, and on top of that, he superimposed his political message. Ask them. And it would have been a better step in the right direction. And to double down on it does not make any sense to me when you have the people, the owners of the video, saying they take offense to him taking and using the video. It would have taken two seconds. Now this becomes the story and not the story of the issue that he wants to address about unsafetyness on the TTC. So it's a bit of a fail for him. The federal government under fire for a passport redesign over which they probably had very little operational control. But the Conservatives did introduce what they consider to be patriotic imagery in the last passport. And in this latest redo, all of that stuff is gone. And believe it or not, there really is a picture of a squirrel with a nut. Uh, Tim Hudak, your thoughts? 
I just think it's more evidence, John, of a government that's well past its best before uh, date. Uh, like this, symbols matter. They they motivate people. They're going to react to them. If you're going to mess around with a symbol of our country, then you've got an alternative that's compelling. For example, we have changed some of the words in the national anthem over time, but you had an alternative in a case for it. I can't believe something that would have this degree of symbolism that average Canadians would would understand got all the way into production without somebody saying, hold on a sec, what, what the heck are we doing here? And we're erasing these symbols and putting on a squirrel and a guy gardening, for goodness sakes. That when that kind of thing can actually slip through, that kind of unforced error shows a government that's not even getting the basics right, John. And then you worry about the even bigger things. Andrew, and see you why I guess some people could argue that your passport is almost like a picture book for Canada. I don't know how much time people spend leafing through it, but this one tells a different story. Uh, it, it does. I, I think... A little bit, it was a gaffe on the government's part. You can still keep a lot of the old imagery and add to it. You didn't have to. I, I, I don't understand getting rid of Terry Fox because I don't really see anybody having a problem uh, with Terry Fox. So I, I just I don't understand why in those meetings. Yeah, nobody said, what are we doing? We can add to the passport. We can make it better and more representative of all of Canada by adding new images, but also keeping some of the old images as well. It just it just seems like there was nobody in the room with the proper head on their shoulders. Pamela Palmiter, a long time since I've leafed through my passport because not a lot of countries do stamping anymore. Uh, but I think one of the deleted images was also an Indigenous image. Yeah, here's the thing. Having worked in the federal government for 10 years at Justice Canada and Indian Affairs, um, these things don't go all the way to the prime minister or cabinet for the, for the most part. This would be at a much lower level. I could be wrong. Things could be changed, but there were people who weren't happy when the con former conservative government changed pictures. They're not happy with these pictures. There'll be people who are happy and not happy. I think there should be a revolving set of pictures to represent everyone, especially the fact that this is in, you know, indigenous territory. It should have a lot more. Um, it's just not that big of a deal. It doesn't speak to whether or not government has good social policy, whether the government has good foreign policy, any of those things. Tim Hudak, you have a specific expertise which would come to bear on Toronto City Council voting to permit multiplexes in all Toronto neighborhoods. That's going to be good for business. Is it good for neighborhoods? Uh, uh, thrilled. It, it is good for building stronger neighborhoods and allowing, you know, first time uh, buyers to get a place to call home that they can afford. The, the, this is the single biggest key, John, to unlocking housing affordability in our urban areas. Something that ARIA, the Ontario Real Estate Association, and CFO at has championed for some time. The Toronto Regional Real Estate Board would have pushed this at City Hall. Is a legacy of John Tory, something he pushed for as mayor. I'm thrilled to see that it continued through. Look, you could knock down a wartime bungalow. You see that happening in any major city today and build a four-story monster home. Respect your right to do that. You've worked hard. You've saved up your money. You want to provide for your family. But if you want to knock that down and have a duplex or a triplex, two or three good homes for first-time buyers, you go through this ringer, John. The lawyers descend, the NIMBYs. You walk away and the homes don't get built. This is a wonderful step forward for the city of Toronto. I hope other cities emulate this to help first-time buyers get into the market. Pamela Palmiter, it's inarguable. It's going to create more housing, which seems to be an urgent goal in the province of Ontario. But again, to come back to the question, is it necessarily good for neighborhoods? 
Well, and I think the people whose voice matter the most are the people currently in those neighborhoods and those in other neighborhoods who've gone through the similar experience. And it wasn't such a great deal when uh, Airbnb and other uh, types of organizations move in or you have, you know, the infamous uh, landlords who come in and, and make it not what it was intended to be. So I think we should be giving them voice and they should have the primary say over what happens in that neighborhood. Yeah, although, Andrew, I can't read the minds of all of my neighbors, but I'm pretty sure if they could, they would oppose the idea of single-family homes being demolished for row houses or multiplexes. Of course, because when you're in it, uh, you think, you, you well, you have, you've worked hard to acquire maybe a mega home or just a single-family uh, dwelling, but we're we're living in a different time now there the population is bigger there's not enough housing uh, to meet demand if there's other alternatives to do it you can't just stick to not in my neighborhood and keep trying to push it to other places uh toronto really ontario in general and toronto in particular really needs to step up and this is a, for me a step in the right direction okay and, and tim hudak just sort of uh, write a reply i guess um yeah. i I'm, I'm did you lobby for this personally or is this coming at you like oh okay fine Finally, something's getting done. We've been behind this from the get-go. I, I really uh, I do believe that Ontario Realtors uh, got this ball rolling a couple of years ago. We, we termed it getting rid of exclusionary zoning. And look, I, I get it. I'm a bit surprised Pamela is almost advocating for snob zoning there. You don't want people who, you know, aren't currently in the neighborhood. I, we just cannot. Oh, have don't that. mix you, my well, words. Well, you did. You did, Pamela. Wow. You said basically people don't should design their own neighborhood. But let me point this out, that people who are there now, I'm sure there were neighbors before that didn't want them in this neighborhood. If we actually want to get greater strength in home ownership that builds stronger communities and help first-time buyers get out of mom and dad's basement in neighborhoods, this is the biggest step forward good for the city. I'm not going to play the audio again because it's highly disturbing, but I think all of you had, have had an opportunity to read about, if not watch, a video which was made by the FBI about how to survive if you're in a shooting spree. And Adjua, I seem to be alone in being creeped out by this because, for me anyway, it sort of is a banal statement that, well, stuff's going to happen, so you better get ready for it uh it is it's still creepy to me uh it's it's just the gun culture south of the border borders just is just another thing and on another level but i get you have to train for it because it's happening a lot there and what this year it's been such a big uptick there's already been 647 mass shootings so they have to prepare because it's going to happen because their lawmakers are not changing anything to protect people or children in schools so when it comes to that yes it's graphic but it's happening to them every day and if they don't have skills or tools to deal with that because the lawmakers are not doing it this is what you're going to have it's actually scary and shocking i was shocked in 99 with columbine and that was a big one and now it just seems like just a car accident that's what it feels like this is what these mass shootings are because they happen every day on a daily basis and it's such a terrifying thing pamela palmater i guess what they're doing for shooting sprees is like duck and cover for nuclear bombs and uh, drop and roll for clothing fires yeah except uh instead of uh foreign countries attacking you it's your own people attacking you and it's it's really a sign of what America has allowed itself to become. They've allowed the gun lobby to effectively create this scenario where kids going to school have to practice this trauma every day and so do teachers and they're expected to be Rambos. It's it's 
it's untenable. I can only I can only imagine that the next thing we're going to see is how to prepare for IED devices, how to prepare for militia attacks. Like they need to do something about this. It's totally untenable. Although Tim Hudak, I guess it should come as no surprise that there's a video like this because I know they do drills in schools with kids and sometimes they have somebody who pretends to be the gunman and runs through the building with blanks. Yeah, it's it's the sad reality, and you know we we can uh, cast aspersions at the Americans, but let, let's face it. Here in Canada, my parents used to talk about the stop, drop, and roll. I think through my time, the seventies and eighties, we didn't have to worry much about fire drills. But in both of my daughter's schools, they also practice lockdowns. What if somebody comes in? We've not anywhere near the Americans, thank God. We've had our own share of shootings uh, in Canada. It is a sad, unfortunate reality that our kids, as much as fire drills, practice what if a killer comes into the room. And I think you've got to be realistic in preparing for that. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. Tim Hudak, Adjua Insia Yabuan, Pamela Palmiter on Free For All Round 2. Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.